Okay, if you would now open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 29. <clears throat> Genesis 29. We'll read the first 11 verses. And Jacob went on his journey and came into the, to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. And a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. And they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep. And put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be watered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Thank God for his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverent is your matchless name. Lord, we bow before your throne of grace carefully and reverently and thankfully this evening. So thankful that we can come before you accepted in the person of Christ our Savior, pleading his righteousness his obedience as our only righteousness. Pleading his blood is the only cleansing we have from our sin. The only payment that we have. The only way we could possibly be accepted in thy presence. Is in thy dear son. And father how thankful we are that you've made your people accepted. In the beloved. That you have put away the sin of your people. That you put away the sin that separated us from thee. And that you drew us near. Father how thankful we are. And Father, I beg of you this evening that you would enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, be with me as I attempt to preach your gospel. I pray you'd uphold me with thy spirit. Enable me to rightly divide the word of truth. To, to preach in the power of thy spirit. Not in man's eloquency or in man's powers. But Father, in the power of thy spirit. Father, be with your people as we hear. Enable us to hear and and believe, to find our hearts comforted and assured with one more time hearing of Christ our Savior, that he truly is everything that we need. And Father, we pray for those who are away from us this evening, those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial, those who could not be with us for whatever reason. Father, I pray you'd be with your people. I pray that you'd comfort your people that you brought into the valley of trouble, that you'd Comfort their hearts with your presence. Pray for your hand of healing and deliverance upon them. 
as Father, as only you can. And Father, how thankful we are for this place that you've given to us, a family of believers you've called together. Father, I pray your continued blessing be upon each home, upon each one of us. Father, that you'd cause us as a church body to be faithful, to preach the gospel to our generation. And we pray you bless your word as it goes forth. And all these things we ask in the name of and for the glory of Christ our Savior. It's his name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, I've titled our message this evening, Christ Opens the Wells of Water. Tonight I want to look at Jacob as a picture of Christ who opens the fountains of water spiritually for his people. Our text begins verse 1. And Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. Now this is the very morning after Jacob had met the Lord at Bethel. He woke up in the morning and he continued on his journey. And the marginal reading says that Jacob lift up his feet. He woke up that morning going off on his journey. He was just like he was walking on air. He lifted up his feet. He was so happy because now he knew the Lord was with him. The Lord had been with him before. Jacob didn't know it. Now he knew the Lord was with him. And he was so happy. Now this journey that Jacob's taken to go find a wife at his uncle's house was around 500 miles. He's doing that on foot all alone. I would imagine that felt pretty scary and probably should have been. You know, at that time, people traveled in big caravans because their safety in numbers but up till now, Jacob had been all alone. But now, he felt safe. He, he had no worry. His heart was just light and happy because the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was guiding him. He knew for sure now, I'm going to arrive at my destination safely. I'm going to find my wife. I know I am because the Lord's with me. The Lord's leading me. After he met the, the Lord, Jacob's heart just wasn't heavy anymore. I mean, don't you imagine as he took off from his parents and even though he had a, a, a very difficult relationship with his brother Esau, he, he's leaving home, he's leaving his brother, he's leaving everybody he's ever known. And it's his fault. Right? His heart was heavy at that. His heart was heavy with worry at, at this journey that he was taking. But now, this morning, he wakes up. His heart is light, and that made his feet light. He lifted up his feet, just like he's taking this journey, 500-mile journey on air. And you know, as I read that, I thought there is a definite connection between the believer's heart and the believer's feet. It's our heart that directs our walk. It's our heart that directs how we walk, how we conduct ourselves, and what we do. Just like we looked uh, Sunday morning in the Sunday school lesson, it's the believer's heart that leads us unto good works. It's your heart that leads you to do those things. But the believer's heart also directs how we walk. Our heart directs our attitude in doing what we're doing. And Jacob's attitude was happy. He was delighted. He was lighthearted because he knew now the Lord was with him. And the picture here, this is how Christ came to save his people from their sin. He did it joyfully. He didn't come dreading his mission. He knew he would be successful in this mission to find his sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. There'd be one fold and one shepherd. He knew he'd find all of his sheep. He knew he would redeem them. He knew he'd have them all. Even when it came time for him to go to the cross, his body seemed to rebel against 
what was getting ready to happen to him, his body. He sweat great drops of blood. He was in such anguish, he thought he'd die at just the thought of going to the cross. Just the thought of being made sin. But you know how scripture describes that time? That awful time there in the garden, he prayed unto his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. That seems like such a time of anguish to us, doesn't it? But you know how scripture describes that time? Hebrews 12, 2. Who for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross and despised the shame. For the joy that was set before him. The joy of redeeming his people from their sin. Let's think about our hearts tonight. Thinking of the Savior. Thinking of his joy. He counted it a joy to suffer and die for your sins. That make your heart light. That make your feet just want to. Bob Boyd tells me every once in a while after a mess, he said, if I was a young man, I'd jump up and click my heels. <laughs> Doesn't make you want to jump up and click your heels. Your feet are light. Because your heart is light in thinking of the Savior. Not only how he suffered and died to put your sin away, but it was a joy to him because he loves his people. Oh, that, that affects our heart, doesn't it? Well, verse 2. And he looked and behold a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. And a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. And they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep. And put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. Now Jacob came to the exact right spot. Now he'd never been to visit his uncle before. He didn't know where his uncle lived. He didn't know the neighborhood or any place around there. How on earth did Jacob end up at the exact right spot? I mean, he went 500 miles. I mean, you think he could have veered a little to the left or a little to the right, you know. How in this world did he end up at the exact right spot without a map and without a GPS, without knowing where he's going? The Lord directed Jacob, didn't he? He brought Jacob exactly where he was supposed to be. And this is how the Lord leads all of his people. He leads all of his people. He does. And this you can rest assured of. He'll lead you right. He'll bring you to the right spot. Well, verse 7, Jacob said, Lo, it's yet high day. It's, it's high noon. It's in the heat of the day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. You boys, you're here too early. And water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now Jacob told these boys, it's high noon. It's, it's high day. It's the heat of the day. There's no sheep. There's no shade for these sheep to, to lie down in. Let's water these sheep so you can take them and go feed them. Let them go lay down some shady pastures till the heat of the day passes. And these other men said, we can't do it. We can't do it. And there are several reasons why they couldn't water the sheep at that time. Number one, they felt like they didn't have the strength to do it. They didn't have the manpower to roll that stone away from the covering of the well, so they couldn't water the sheep. I did some reading on this, and normally it took several men to roll this stone from off the, the mouth of the water, and they just felt like, well, there's not enough men here. 
Now, I have to tell you, I think plus they're kind of lazy. I mean, they didn't even try. Get, get a couple of you fellas get together and try, you know. And why are you here from the heat? Why aren't you back out there in the pastures where, you know, they seem, they seem like they're lazy to me. It seems like they're not doing a very good job. So they would not and they could not roll the stone from the mouth of the, the well. Second, they could not roll the stone away from the well without breaking their own law. Now, for whatever reason, this was a hard and fast rule. I have no idea why they made this rule, but this is the rule they made. Nobody watered the sheep till everybody was there at a set time of day. I don't know why they did that, but that was their rule. So if they did have the manpower to roll the stone from the, from the mouth of the well, they'd break the law that they made up. And thirdly, they wouldn't roll the stone away, and they wouldn't water the sheep because they cared more about their traditions they cared more about all the, you know, everything looking just right than they cared about being helpful and being merciful and taking care of the sheep that they were in charge of taking care of. Now I ask you, isn't that a picture of man's religion? Man's religion leaves us with such a need for Christ. We need Christ because first of all, we don't have the strength to roll the stone for the mouth of the well. We don't have the strength that it takes to earn eternal life. We don't have the strength that it takes to get to the water of life for ourselves. We lack the power to do it. We lack the power to do it because we lack the spiritual life to do it. We can't do anything for ourselves. So we need someone to come who's got the strength to roll the stone from the mouth of the well and to give us the water of life. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father saw the need of His people. And He sent His Son to do a job on a mission to save His people, to give them eternal life. And I'm telling you, God the Son came with the power. He came well equipped to get the job done. Christ came with the power to save His people from their sin. He came with the power to deliver them from the, the power of sin and the condemnation of sin. He came with the power to put sin away. And I'm telling you, it wasn't hard work for him either. And I'll show you more of that here in just a minute. But we need Christ because we don't have the strength to get to the water of life. Second, we need Christ because if God would just give us this water, the water of life, he'd violate his own law. He'd violate the demands of his own holiness and his own righteousness, and his own justice if he didn't first meet his holy requirements. God cannot violate his law. He cannot do it. God has a holy nature, a holy character. God's heart directs what he does too. God has a holy character, and he cannot violate his holiness. He cannot violate justice in order to save sinners. See, these other shepherds felt like, well, you know, nothing we can do. We, we can't violate the law. If we would roll the stone away from the wall, we'd be breaking the law. So we're just going to sit here and let the sheep suffer and do nothing. <laughs> this is one of the millions of reasons we're thankful God's not like us. God could not violate his holy law. Not an option for God. But instead of doing nothing like these fellas, the father sent his son to do the job that needed to be done. He sent his son to keep the law for his people. He sent the son to establish righteousness so that the father could do something for himself. He sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice 
so the father could do something for himself to satisfy his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. Once God did something for himself, then God could do something for you and me. Then he could do something for sinners. The son came to fulfill all of the law for his elect. He came to make sure every requirement of God's law was met for God's elect so that the father could be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. Thirdly, we need Christ because we can't gain access to the water of life. And we can't gain access to it because we're spending far too much time caring about our religious traditions and caring about making a big show of public religion so everybody else will see how religious and how orthodox we are. Man's religion gets people so caught up in religion, we miss Christ. Oh, I pray God will deliver us from that. Because this is our nature now. The nature of our flesh is we care a whole lot more about our religious traditions. <laughs> we care more about those religious traditions than we do seeking mercy from God. You know that. And that's true of even believers. Years ago, Brother Henry and I were talking and he told me, he said, now, you're going to be somebody's pastor someday. And I thought, Henry, you, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> you're nuts. That's not going to be. But one of the things he told me was this. He said, now you get to be a pastor someday. Don't you go changing a bunch of things right off. He said, wait a year or two or three. Wait till you become the pastor. Wait till you earn people's trust. Because you go messing with people's traditions. You go messing with the way we've always done things. And people aren't going to like you. <laughs> That's believers. <laughs> We care about our traditions, don't we? We care about the way we... we got to be careful we don't get so caught up in those religious traditions that we miss Christ. Mm, that's what's happening here. We care. This flesh cares about making a big show of public religion. So people think how good we are. And we're caught up trying to gain a reputation for ourselves and we miss Christ. We miss... This is, this is so... Such polluted way of thinking, our flesh. We want to make a big show of public religion to get people to look at us. And what's our goal? John the Baptist told us what our, our goal is. Behold the Lamb. We ought not be wanting to get people to look at us. Our desire is to get people to look at Christ. Go to Him. Look at Matthew chapter 23. I see that clearly in a, in a picture there. And that's just, this is, this is man's religion. And this is what our Lord told the Pharisees their problem is. In Matthew chapter 23. Verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, this, these, these little, the smallest little um, herbs and things, you know. That nobody ever even noticed. But you, boy, you pay tithe of those things. But you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. You've omitted judgment. You've omitted mercy. You've omitted faith. These ought you to have done. And not to leave the other undone. They're caring so much about their religious traditions and the laws. They're missing mercy. They're missing faith in Christ. Now look where that leads to in verse 28. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. 
Oh, you got the right form of religion, don't you? You made a big show of religion to, to make people think how good you are, but you got no life in you. You've got no cleansing in you. We need Christ, don't we? Now, Jacob, look back in our text here. Genesis 29. That's those fellows. They, they just, you know, they just didn't seem to care about mercy for the sheep. They didn't care that the sheep out there in the hot sun needed something to drink. But Jacob sees Rachel. And Jacob cared about Rachel. And since he cared about Rachel, he cared about her sheep too. Look at verse 9. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lift up his voice and wept. Now that might seem, seem odd to us, this woman you've never met before, kissing her and lifting up his voice and weeping, but that was like a, a sign to them of just overflowing emotion. Jacob felt love at first sight. That's exactly what was going on with him. We first laid eyes on her. I mean, she's beautiful. She's just, oh my goodness. And he must have got just a big rush of adrenaline or something. I don't know. But I mean, you all know how men are. Men see that, you know, a, a beautiful girl, first time we ever see you want to show off for her, show off your strength, show off your manliness, trying to impress her, you know. That's what Jacob felt. Oh, he felt love at first sight. And he wanted to impress her. And he went to that stone and rolled that stone away all by himself. And he went out and watered all those sheep. She didn't have to do it. He did it all for her. <laughs> now normally, remember, it takes several men to roll this stone away. And Jacob did it by himself. I don't know. Maybe if the Lord gave Jacob superhuman strength or something, and something happened, didn't it? It was adrenaline, if it, whatever it was, you know. The old Jewish writers, in the, for what that's what is worth category, as they tell this story down through the ages, they, they say those men were amazed that Jacob could roll that stone away from the well by himself. They just they'd never seen anything like it, you know. And I'm telling you, his motivation was seeing Rachel. That's what it was. It just gave him, you know, his strength and things. His, he's showing off for her. That's what he's doing. Now, all of that is given to us as a picture of Christ our Savior, how he came in the strength of God to do for his people what we could not do for ourselves. I don't know if the Lord gave Jacob some sort of superhuman strength, but I know this. The Lord Jesus Christ did have, does have superhuman strength. <coughs> Excuse me. He has divine strength. He came with the strength of God. And that's what enabled him to redeem his people from their sin. He came with the strength of God to obey the law for his people. He came with the strength of God by the power of his blood. He sacrificed himself and put away the sin of his people so that their sin is gone, that it is no more. Oh, the power of that. You and I can't stop ourselves from one sin. Christ had the power to put away all of the sin <coughs> of all of his people in one sacrifice. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know what's got in my throat. <coughs> now, Jacob, he rolled that great stone from the mouth of the well all by himself. 
That's a picture of Christ redeeming his people by himself. By himself. And I told you earlier, this wasn't hard work for the Savior. You all bet Jacob, he, he sees he's Rachel coming. He's thinking, i got to impress her. He rolls up his sleeves. He spits on his hands. I mean, he gets himself in just the right position. He put his leg muscles and his back muscles and his arm muscles. He's clenching his teeth doing everything he can do to roll that stone away so he could water those sheep. He had to do that, wouldn't you say? When the Lord talks about redeeming His people from their sin, He talks about using His arm. Singular. The Father redeemed His people from their sin, He says, with His mighty stretched out arm. Singular. Now, I'm not saying that the work was light. No, it's the hardest, most difficult, most complicated, most intricate work ever done in creation to put away the sin of God's people. It was an enormous work. But the arm of the Lord accomplished the redemption of his people by himself. And who is the arm of the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the arm of the Lord who accomplished the redemption of his people by himself. Christ came. He removed every great stone. He removed every great obstacle that would keep his elect from coming to the water of life and drinking it freely. Now, how's that for an introduction? Now let me quickly give you four wells of water. That I thought of, I know there's got to be more, but I thought of these four. Wells of water that the Savior opened for his people. Now I say that Christ opened these fountains, but really, truth be told, Christ is these fountains of water. He is eternal life for his people. He is the water of life for his people. And this is the water. That Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, gives to all of his sheep. Now first look at John chapter 4. Christ opened the water of life for his people. John chapter 4, verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in, into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it? That thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given, given thee living water. Now Christ gives this living water to his people. Now like I said a second ago, more accurately, Christ is the living water for his people. Christ is eternal life for his people. He said, I am the life. I am the life. He said, come unto me. Don't go, go to religion. Go, don't go to the, the ceremonies and traditions of man's religion. Come unto me and drink and live. He said, if you drink of me, if you drink of my blood, 
of my sacrifice, you'll never die. The Savior opens the well of eternal life for his people by giving them faith to drink of him and to have eternal life. And I'm telling you, if you drink of him, you'll never thirst again. Never thirst. Well, that brings me to the second thing. Christ opened the well of water that makes his people righteous. Now, when we feel thirst and we say, I'm thirsty, the reason we feel thirsty is that it's our body's way of telling us we, you don't have enough water in your body. It's, it's our body's, you know, kind of like uh, those little lights that come up on your dash tell you something's wrong with your car, you know, you need something. It's, thirst is our body's way of telling us you don't have enough water in your body. You know, before God shows mercy to his people, the old timers used to say he salts them. He salts them. He makes people hungry and thirsty. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're thirsty for righteousness because God's made them realize, I don't have any. And I need some. I need righteousness. And you know, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you find yourself needing Christ, your righteousness, you need righteousness, you find out that I must have Christ. <laughs> if God's made you thirst like that, my friend, you're blessed. God has blessed you. Because you know what the Savior said in Matthew 5, verse 6? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. If God salts you, it makes you thirsty. Thirsty for righteousness. He'll fill you. He'll fill you. And the Lord tells this Samaritan woman he's talking to here that the spiritual water he gives his people makes it so they never thirst after righteousness again. They don't thirst for righteousness because he makes them righteous. Makes them righteous. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. We're talking about something a whole lot better than physical water. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be any, a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Oh, if Christ is your righteousness, you'll never thirst again. Because you are righteous. You're eternally righteous. You've got a well. You didn't just get a drink of, of water. You got a spring of water springing up in your heart. Christ our Savior has opened the fountain of righteousness for his people. He makes them righteous by dwelling in them. All right, now look across the page of John 5. Verse 1. Here's the third thing. Christ has opened a fountain of healing for his people. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, all withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. 
And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now the Lord healed this poor man just by speaking to him. He didn't need a trouble of water and help the man into the water. The Lord healed him just by speaking to him. Just like he does everything else, he healed this man all on his own, didn't he? Just the power of his word. Our Lord is the great physician. It's him. If we, if we ever have any physical ailment and we get healed of it, the Lord did it. The Lord did it. Now, he almost certainly is going to use means, doctors and nurses and medicines and, and these kinds of things. You know, if you got something wrong with you, go to the doctor. I'm, you know, but if you're healed, the Lord did it. The Lord did. He's, he, he uses means, but the Lord did it. But spiritually speaking, it is the Lord, Christ our Savior, who heals his people of every spiritual disease that we have. And it's a good thing, because we don't just have a spiritual disease. Like, you know, it's, it's, I got something wrong with me inside. You know, you really can't see it. I got a leaky heart valve, say, but, you know, you can't see it. That's not the kind of disease we're talking about. All we are is a mass of spiritual disease wickedness and uncleanness and the Lord takes his people and he heals every spiritual wound every bruise every putrefying sore that had been closed neither bound up neither mollified with ointment it's Christ who makes his people whole you don't need the troubled waters of Bethesda to be healed if you have Christ you don't need the ceremony you don't need the tradition. You know, I, I didn't really look at this this week, but I remember seeing this before that some of the commentators think that um, people probably were actually healed here, but there's a lot of acting going on. You know, somebody just said, oh, you know, my, I got a hurt ankle, and they just pretend like the waters were troubled. They jump in, and then they jump out and say, ooh, you know, I'm healed. Everybody would think, you know, how special they are. They think there was a lot of trickery going on. You don't need that ceremony. You don't need that tradition if you have Christ. And just like our uh, shepherds there didn't care much about the sheep, the Lord did this on the Sabbath day. The man took up his bed. He'd been laying there how many years? Took up his bed and walked home. And all the Pharisees could care about was this man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. You're breaking our laws. You're breaking our tradition. It never crossed their mind the power and mercy of God to heal this man. See how easily it is to get hung up on those traditions? They were mad. <laughs> oh my goodness. We're a mess, aren't we? Well, you'll be set free from all that if you have Christ. Now look at Zechariah chapter 13. Here's the last thing I want to show you. Here's how the Lord heals all the sin sicknesses of his people. Christ has opened a fountain of water for the cleansing of his people. Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day there should be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And here Zechariah is prophesying of the death of our Savior. 
He's not just talking about a fountain of blood. I have to confess to you, when I read that verse, I, I typically think about a fountain of blood. But he's not just talking about a fountain of blood. Zechariah is prophesying about a fountain of blood and water. Blood and water that gives the double cure for sin. When that Roman soldier pierced the side of our Savior, he's already gave up the ghost, he's already dead, but just for meanness sake, he poked that spear to the side of our Savior. What happened? John said, I saw this. Outflowed blood and water. A fountain of blood and water that gives the double cure for what, what Zechariah says here is sin and uncleanness. We need both. Sin's got to be taken care of. Sin's got to be paid for. And we've got to be washed from our uncleanness. We need blood and water. The fountain of cleansing that came from our Savior's side. We need blood. His precious, sinless blood to atone for sin, to pay for sin. And we need that water, that pure water that flowed from His side to cleanse us from the uncleanness of our sin, the filth of our sin. And if you've been washed in that fountain, that fountain of water and blood, you don't ever have to worry about sin and uncleanness ever again. You've been washed. If you've been washed in that fountain that flowed from our Savior's side, the blood and water, you're white as snow. You're debt free and you're white as snow and you always will be. Oh, what a fountain our Savior has opened for His people. Aren't you glad He came and by Himself rolled that stone away and gave this water to His sheep? All right, I hope that will bless you. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word, this time we've had together to look into it. How we thank you for Christ, the water of life. Father, I pray you'd come and as our great shepherd and water your sheep, water your sheep, feed your sheep tonight. We've gathered together in, in the heat of the day, in the heat of the, the middle of this week, the, the heat, the, the dry, barren deadness of this world. Father, I pray you'd roll the stone away. Let that water of life, the refreshing, cleansing water of life flow out on your people. Enable us to go home tonight like Jacob left Bethel so many years ago. We'd let us lift up our feet. Let our hearts be light. Let us lift up our feet. Go home on clouds. Thankful, thankful for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and his love and his care for his people. Father, bless us for Christ's sake, we pray. It's in his name, for his glory, we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.